by Kinsler. Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane. And Ireland do it. Robbie Keane. Shane Long, Jonathan Walters, Robbie Brady, James McLean. James McLean again. These are the goal scorers, the match winners, on Martin O'Neill's most famous nights as Republic of Ireland manager. But in the end, Christian Eriksen and Gareth Bale were the players who put the final nails in the former Ireland manager's coffin. It was confirmed today, Wednesday, that the Dairyman and his assistant Roy Keane were to resign effective immediately from their position within Irish football. Is it the right decision? What will be their legacy? And what next for Irish football? It's been a long five years. <clears throat> and this moment was coming for an even well not even for a longer time but you could even say when when they were appointed there was it wasn't the appointment say Martin O'Neill would have been in 2008 say or when he had left Villa in 2010 if they got him straight from that before the Sunderland debacle and before if instead of bringing in Giovanni Trapattoni they'd brought in Martin O'Neill that would have been a coup and you would have said oh this guy you know he was in the European final several years ago. He'd won trophies in, in England, which is very difficult to do. Almost got uh, Aston Villa into the Champions League a few times. It, it did. Got them to a League Cup final as well in more recent times. Got the, you know, obviously his work with Celtic winning league titles, you know, after Rangers had dominated for such a long time up there. He had achievements in plus the two European Cups, which he doesn't want us to ever forget. But, it never felt right. It felt very much like all he did was correct a train that was still going in the wrong direction. But that's kind of been the, the way Irish football has been for a while now. For a while, yeah. And, and, and a lot of that isn't even to do with the manager, of course. Because like the FAI uh, itself is such a poorly run organisation, I would say. that it's div- it, it, Poorly it run is, in some ways and it's well run in other ways. But it is a difficult job to take over. Especially yeah. when you don't, when you haven't been in there before, when you haven't been in the setup no, before. No, and it's like it was kind of they came in and they were like, "What type of manager did they want? Did the FAI want first and foremost?" Because following Trapattoni, Trapattoni was appointed on the basis that this isn't this is a, a first team pick. We're not worried about youth development. We have other, you know, we have other strategies. Though remember the youth development strategy, and they had various other documents and people that were meant to be looking after Irish football grassroots. Trapattoni was appointed on the basis that he is looking after the first team and he will get results. That happened, he got results, and then people were like wanted more from Trapattoni. Like, oh, we know, everyone knows how to play the system, but the system doesn't really work. It's modern football. Trapattoni is, is past the sell-by date. The players have stopped listening. A lot of the team has been ostracised. There, there, needs, there needs to be rejuvenation. Martin Neal was brought in on the basis that he's a man-manager. Roy Keane was brought in with him as the, the Hollywood statement. Like, FEI made points several times that, you know, off the cuff that he would be there to sell tickets for the stadium because they needed to sell tickets for the Aviva. And that is Martin O'Neill's. That was apparently his last, kind of last-ditch point to John Delaney before he did go was that there is a record number of season tickets at the moment. Yeah, but they're still, like, the, the what was the point I heard that uh, the IRFU's which isn't, you know, the rugby union in Ireland, They're, who shared the Aviva Stadium, they shared the costs of it, they shared the, the ownership of the stadium with, with the FAI. They make double the revenue that the FAI do, despite having sim- equ- similar number of games, similar number of influence over Yeah, the and the RFU does have a domestic game as well, which helps. Yeah, but the, the, the domestic the, league has only existed in the, for the RFU for 10 years. Yeah, and like Ireland has its own domestic league and it could be treated a lot better yeah. than it is. Yeah, like there's no, like rugby's a small sport, you have to remember that as well. It doesn't have the, 
doesn't have the mass appeal like it it is very popular in Ireland at the moment and very popular growing everywhere but doesn't have the mass appeal and history in the nation that that soccer football does and it hasn't been taken advantage of like at the, at this point you were like what what is the thinking in the FAI what why did they appoint Martin O'Neill did they appoint Martin O'Neill because they couldn't get anywhere else or did they appoint it felt very much like the kind of judgment that say Manchester United made when appointing Jose Mourinho they appointed him because he was a name and they could get him I do remember at the time like I, I remember we went to one of Giovanni Trapattoni's last matches and at the time he he did manage another couple of matches after that but that very, I remember us having a conversation at the time of who should come in next because yeah. it very much felt like Trapattoni yeah, was yeah he was going, reaching the was end about to go. Yeah. and I remember Martin O'Neill I remember us having the conversation like I remember us only being able to think of Martin O'Neill at the time there, there wasn't a lot of options I'm pretty True. sure we mentioned Mick McCarthy at that time yeah. as well whose yeah. name Mick is McCarthy's always there his name is in the ring again this yeah. time he's currently the, the favourite at evens yeah from what but I saw the the talk being that, that and he would be the easy decision for the FAI they could go back on him they you know they have a history with him he's a history with the obviously the, the team he is well respected in the game he's well respected in Ireland and it would be an easy win for them and all the pressure all the animosity that exists currently for the FAI like we haven't even got into it that that say at the moment the FAI have and John Delaney specifically has completely rid all criticism away from himself if you remember last week or the last couple of the last couple of international breaks there's been an awful lot of pressure on John Delaney specifically because he is seen the Irish football there's been a reality check in Irish football we we know the Irish footballing public that we don't have a good international team like as in we don't have what we used to have we don't have someone who's going to who's going to beat the big boys on a regular basis who's going to play well who's going to be creative who's even going to beat the small guys on a regular basis we don't have the high level of top level players anymore we don't have people playing in the Champions League even like we're, we're harking back to the old like even when we had John O'Shea being the sole representative we don't have that not anymore. Megan Lewis Figo no but he, yeah but we had other players playing then but we don't have anybody now even anybody near Champions League level really I can't think of at cl- closest we have is the Burnley players that managed a couple of Europa League qualifying matches yeah Seamus Coleman is our most creative and best player from right back and he's aging and he's, you know, not playing the best football of his career at the moment. It really does feel like between Steve Staunton, the Steve Staunton here, not just Steve Staunton specifically, like Brian Kerr. Yeah. While the results were okay under Brian Kerr, he got a bit unlucky. It just feels like those players kind of got wasted because well, they only qualified for the One World Cup and then a Euros much later on much, when they yeah, were very the old. Their careers, yeah, yeah the... the like they can talk about golden generations. Like it's not quite a golden generation. They did very well underage, as we know. They won under sixteen, under eighteen, under Brian Kerr, yeah. under Brian Kerr championships in the late nineties with a lot of like the Roy Keane, the, not the Roy Keane's, the Robbie Keane's, the Damien Duffs of this world. But you know that can only go so far. You know, we, winning at underage level. If you won at underage level, we'd have African World Cup winners at this point. We'd have Mexican World Cup winners at this point. We'd have Brazil would have even more. And Argentina would have even more World Cups than they do have. It doesn't always translate into success at senior level. Different things take hold, careers take hold. And if you look from the late 90s on, it's not just... I don't, I don't want to say anybody wasted it, because they did what they could do. Like they, they came very close to a quarter-final against South Korea in the World Cup in 2002. They were penalty, one penalty, David Connolly's penalty away from getting into a, a winnable quarter-final. And, that, and, and that then was... to go through to a winnable semi-final against Germany. 
Yeah, because we obviously we played Germany in the group stages exactly. and we took them on pretty well. Yeah, and that was all without I Roy Keane for a good thirty forty minutes in that match, and it could have happened, but as it did, it didn't. So I wouldn't say you know, waste it. These are things that happen. It's the game, but the with that you have to say that you look at the careers of the players involved and they kind of compared to the players that say qualified for Italia 90 USA 94 which was a harder they were harder times to qualify for international tournaments we have players playing for Liverpool for Manchester United a lot of players playing at the highest level in these you know title challenging clubs year in year out there was always an Irish title winner in every in in division one to the Premier League there was always an Irish title winner every season you know the Jeff Kenna Roy Keane like you can list them every single year up to up to Arsene Wenger's Arsenal I don't think there was an Irish player in that team but up until around 98 there was Irish players in every team and you can see has there been many since you can actually just name them the top of your head that there's been Damien Duff John O'Shea Roy Keane obviously yeah Roy Keane Dennis Irwin yeah, and Dennis Irwin's been retired a while now. Like, did anyone... There's no that. Steve Finnan won a Champions League. That, yeah. You know, John O'Shea won a Champions League. You're you're very much struggling to find Irish players playing at the highest level. And that's just in England. And maybe we're narrowing... Like, it's kind of sad when you think about it because in the global... When the game has become so globalised and English, Scottish, Welsh, for the most part, are all guilty of this as well. We're very focused on the English market. It's like if you're a good enough player in Scotland or Wales or or Ireland, you're playing in England. You're not playing abroad. You're not playing in France. You're not playing in Belgium. You're playing in places that are as easy to get to and easy to play in as and we like you see. There's a young. The, I think the Inter Milan under nineteen captain is an Irishman now. Yeah, I heard of a an Irishman in one of the Scandinavian countries. I can't remember which one it was, but you it was very these, odd. Then. Yeah, you hear these crazy stories. They're it's, crazy because yeah, they're, they're so crazy. Unique. Yeah, exactly. But we don't have we don't have that one we don't have that wealth and two we haven't taken advantage of the wealth that we used to have in the eighties seventies in, in the early nineties when we had players playing at the highest level in all of these English clubs winning leagues winning tournaments winning trophies we don't have any of that anymore they're mostly if they are at all because we, they're not even high good players in the championship they're not even like who we have one or two players who do very well at championship level. Yeah, like we have a lot of players at Preston, Missouri, and then a few players sprinkled throughout the mid-table size yeah, of the championship. Yeah, but none of them are ripping up the boards. Yeah, I, w- I can't think of any that are at any of the teams pushing for promotion. Yeah, we have like what, the, your man at Wolves? Uh, Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty, a fullback? Yeah, another fullback. He, he, if you were playing your best 11, he actually probably wouldn't make it in unless you put him out of position because we have James Coleman exactly, as well. Exactly, that's... Like, this is a really annoying thing we've produced we a bunch of right backs we have you know we have good goalies behind Darren Randolph as well like in in other clubs it's it's a it's a very it's a sad state of affairs but to get back to the original point in recent weeks and months and years even we've come to that realization as a as a as a footballing public that we don't have a wealth of talent and we need to work on other competitive advantages to, to succeed we look at other examples around the world and you don't always get bogged down with like the who's the flavour of the month or the Iceland, you know, in recent years that like Iceland have a like a tiny playing pool and they don't put that much money into the game. Like they don't have that much money to put into the game. But what they have they've utilised well. They put in similar similar budgets to what Ireland put into the, the FAI puts in and they get much greater return. And you're like, why can't we do that? And then you're looking at the management and it's like, well, it's local management. It's not even, they haven't even gone abroad and bought in big expensive managers the likes of Giovanni Trapattoni, the likes of Martin O'Neill. 
and Roy Keane. They haven't brought bought them in and paying them a huge wage. They they have grown their own coach youth setup. They have co managers that aren't even full time in a lot of a lot of cases, and they grow through the system. They know the players and like Ireland did try this for a while. They did this with Mick McCarthy and Brian Kerr in in the nineties two thousands, and then they kind of abandoned it. Went for the oh this is what Germany are doing in in they've appointed a guy with no experience but a great international record in Jurgen Klinsmann. And he got them to the World Cup semi-final. But he only got them to the World Cup semi-final. And then he left. And they were burnt out. And Yogi Lowe, the kind of administrator, coach, player's coach. You know, he wasn't a great player. He wasn't a well-renowned coach. But he worked on with the players he had. He worked throughout the whole system from youth setup, From underage setups all the way through to the senior team. Devising systems that everyone should play. Devising strategies that everyone should follow really taking charge of the whole system we appointed Steve Saunton and then just with Bobby Robson the the late Bobby Robson as he was and he wasn't around long for that he got ill during early on in that reign and kind of just disappeared before unfortunately he died and left it to Sand to try and sort everything out a guy who doesn't seem to have a huge tactical brain behind him he hasn't done anything since he left Ireland as well, a manager he, yeah he's had failed I, I can't remember managing anywhere. He managed a couple of other clubs in lower leagues in England and they all but, all the spells went badly. But we appointed Steve Stone in 2006, which would have been a year after <coughs> uh, John Delaney arrived at the FAI. Yeah, they, as abandoned his role. The, they abandoned the, the, the. And I remember at the time, I was. Not that I was in favour of it, but it was like I could understand why the decision was made to uh, remove Brian Kerr. He, he, was, he only lost one match against. And it was uh, Zidane. Zidane, McAlealy, Vieira, Henri all played at Lansdowne Road and it was an amazing goal from Thierry Henri to settle it 1-0 and Ireland came close to coming back into that match and that's what cost Ireland in that group and they didn't qualify 2006 World Cup as a result and Brian Kerr was like oh well he threw Gary Dyer people were criticising him at the time and to have the criticisms now like we were having shots on target we were playing well we were creating chances these are all like players brought through there was more players. He was given debuts to other players. There, the Stephen Reid, if you remember, and the team had changed dramatically from Mick McCarthy, which it needed to do as well. It needed to move away from that old guard and that standard four four two formation, the big lad up top at Robbie Keane. It had to move away from that and move into something new, and it did under Brian Kerr. But at the same time, he goes like, "You're watching him, and you're watching uh, against what's the name of the French coach, the crazy French coach." There's so many. Uh, um... Raymond Dominic. Yeah, oh yeah, Raymond Dominic. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you're looking at him and he was like this guy Brian Kerr is, is out of his league he doesn't know how to manage against top grade international managers that are kind of they're using the assets they have like there was weaknesses in that French side they got to the World Cup final but there were still weaknesses in that French side um, and despite that Dromnik had crafted the side that was using all of their advantages like they were slow they were old uh, they had people in like the likes of Barthez still in that team who were liable for mistakes or coupe if he was playing and Dominic kind of okay what we're going to do is we're going to play high and fast out the wings and we're going to just give our ball give the ball to our best players and Kerr didn't know what to do because he was used to playing underage football where it was so team orientated that the individuals didn't matter as much because everyone was of the equal standard but then you're playing international against Zinedine Zidane and you're like this guy's better than everyone in our team combined and he can just go around us and play the ball around us and do tricks and we can't even get near to the guy. So what do we do to combat it? And Brian Kerr was out of his depth when it came to that top level matches. But against everyone else he was great. 
he was putting out performances and they were like if we play as a unit which is what we were doing under Brian Kerr we will do fantastically well against these lower to mid-level teams but at the time it was like we're not competing against the best teams it's not good enough we had these delusions of grandeur so we have to go and we have to get something new someone edgy someone who will take on football tactics take on the biggest teams in the world we got Steve Saunton. He beat Sweden 3-0 in his opening match. It was a fantastic performance. We were like, wow, this is the future against the top-class op- opposition. Henrik Larsson, Freddie Numberg, uh, Zlatan. Zlatan, all included lost at Lansdowne Road. And this is this is the new future, new beginning. And then it all went very wrong very quickly for Steve Saunton. I remember the nadir of that being just barely scraping past San Marino yeah. 2-1. There were rough times. and you know th- Those times have continued per- in perpetuity since. Like We've had wonderful nights... Even the draws against Italy, if you remember, under Giovanni Trapattoni. Yeah, Glenn Whelan scoring the best goal of his career. Yeah, Noel Hunt, you know, getting goals, or get, supposedly getting goals against Italy, away from home, almost inflicting a defeat on Italy by Giovanni Trapattoni. Big, big, big deals, you know, we, like big performances that were got in, in in those, whatever, four years that Trap was in charge for. Richard Dunn's performance in Moscow yeah, going down Russia, you know, in was, legend. Yeah, you know, getting uh, whatchamacallum to write the former Ireland goalkeeper to write uh, his number on the back of the jersey. Packy Bonner? No, the other... Oh, what's his name? Tim Flowers understudy at Blackburn Rovers. Oh, I can't He remember. was Ireland goalkeeper between Packy Bonner and Shea Given. I, I, if you I remember, can't remember, I've completely no. forgotten his name now. Kelly? I want to say Alan Kelly. Maybe that does sound somewhat familiar, but uh, but under but I was thinking about this on the bus home earlier. It was I was just thinking under Trapattoni, we had those moments against Italy. Was it a home draw against Italy? There was an away draw against Italy as well. What happened at the home? I remember we scored well, a think, late goal and then conceded one two minutes later. That yeah, completely just destroyed the momentum of the result. Yeah, they, it, there were very similar results in that we we kind of shut down. We did started so well. I think we got. We get the lead in Italy and then lose it late on. Yeah, that sounds familiar. We we were so close, and then obviously, like the biggest moment of Trapattoni's uh, whole tenure was probably the match in in Parc de Prince. The Parc de France. I, I one of the ones in Paris. In Paris, say. yeah, just say Paris. Um, obviously, which led to Thierry Henry's handball. Yeah. But regardless of that, it gets easily forgotten that that was one of Ireland's best performances but, in a long time. Do you know what's more easily forgotten than that? Wow. If you remember the first leg of that two-legged playoff, this is the playoff of the World Cup in 2010, the first leg was a horrific performance. Yeah, I remember it being bad. It, was, it wasn't horri- like, horrific. In, Nicholas in, Anelka scored the winner? Yeah. In more, say, in, we've got more perspective now of what horrific means for Republic of Ireland performances. <laughs> At the time, it was a, a poor performance. They hadn't shown up. And it was like, is this what we have? Is this what all we're, after all we've done in the last two years of a qualifying campaign for the World Cup, is this all we have? to show for it yes. against a weak France side which they were yeah, they, much weaker in 2010 than they, they were did, they got, came last in their group in the, in yeah, the World Cup at the like, time they lost, poor like, group Thierry Henry was carrying them with Nicholas and Elke as well to, to a certain extent they were past it in a lot of ways I know that some of those players actually went on and won the World Cup like Hugo Lloris but the you know the, the, the way looking at it now is like that match was bad and people were calling from Trap's head and he lasted another two years after that yeah, and a, a lot of it was on the wa- basis of that second leg. Exactly, which they didn't even win. They yeah, they they won it in ninety minutes, but yeah. the match was played for an extra thirty minutes, and obviously that's where on France draw, scored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a lot of things that have been said about that match after the fact as well lead lead us to believe that the players took on much more responsibility in that match mm. than Trap had. Like Trap, they basically ignored him. 
yeah. in that match and played the way they wanted to play and that's that led to them being so much better yeah but just going back to my initial point of you know we had that moment where obviously the handball and then that was kind of it like I, I remember us playing Bulgaria Dimitar Berbatov led Bulgaria yeah, but like there, were, there got, were we we got very fortunate with Estonia in the playoffs for the Euros twenty twelve. Yeah, beating Estonia we did, we did was a decent fun. group. We got very fortunate with a playoff competitive competition against Estonia, the weakest team Ireland have ever drawn in a playoff, and Ireland wiped the floor with them home and away. Could have been double figures if they'd taken their chances between the two matches. Yeah, I remember the second leg was the second leg was just a bit of a party as it opposed was, to completely everyone. The first leg was four 0 or something. Yeah, it was 4 0 after 30 or after 60 minutes or something. Yeah, like once it was, it was just, 4 0. It was an absolute we, joke. Everyone knew what was going to happen. But my point is, we didn't really have those magical moments under Sharp Tony. We had maybe one or two half moments that were pretty good. But under Martin O'Neill, like thinking about his legacy of the five years, you know, you say it's been a long five years. It has. It, it, and it has. And Martin O'Neill, I, I heard people talking about, you know, how can we don't revere Martin O'Neill the same way we revere Jackie Charlton? And a lot of that is the fact that Martin O'Neill was just, from the day one, was just very aggressive, pass, passive aggressive. Dower. Dower. Down like, in his demeanour, in his approach to Irish football, very much, you know, we don't have a national goal scorer. He, he just wasn't charming in any yeah. way. Like, Jack Charlton obviously was incredibly charming as well. He as, was aggressive when he had to be as well, but he was... <clears throat> Jack Charlton... Jack Charlton said things people didn't want to hear for the right reasons. He was like realistic about Ireland, about the, the the way Ireland played, about the way to get football. He was like, we have certain players in certain positions that are fantastic, and we're lacking other positions, and we can't be serious about this. We can't look in League of Ireland. We have to go and get the players that we can get for for the benefit of the whole team. And he spearheaded that, pushed through getting you know players that weren't necessarily born in Ireland to play for Ireland a lot more than were previous, and that's the policy that's continued since. But with 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 Martin O'Neill, it's. He's like, oh yeah, we have to get players, but there are no players. Discounting all the players that are available to the squad. To selection, very like, defeatist. Yeah, just saying there's no one good enough. And Trapp did this as well, but Trapp Tony did it in a much more politically astute way. Even just more professional manner. Yeah. Like, like Martin, Martin O'Neill took any question on him. Questioning Martin O'Neill's opinions and stuff was like, you're, you, who are you to question? Maybe it was a personal affront to Martin O'Neill. Where are your two European Cup medals? You put like, I remember we used to always kind of laugh. I remember texting you a few times of like, "Oh, Martin O'Neill, Tony O'Donnell are at it again." Yeah, like that. That was common. It would happen yeah. every time. Like even against Denmark, right to the bitter end against Denmark in the five one. It was yeah. like Martin O'Neill had that line of like, "Now before we started this interview, you said hard luck. What do you mean by hard luck? Like he took that as a real like he." I'm a, I can, he I took remember, everything the wrong way. He yeah. took everything as a personal affront. And Martin O'Neill's not a stupid man. Martin O'Neill is, you know, I think he's a law graduate. Very interesting. You know, he attends court cases. He's not, he's not, what I mean by that is, he's used to argumentative speaking. He's used to, you know, seeing examinations and cross-examinations of witnesses. He knows what's going on. He knows how an interview is, a, not, to, not to mention the fact that he's been in professional He's been in the public eye for 40, 50 years almost since his beginning of his playing days. He's used to being a high-profile player in a in a politically unruly area. Like, he's from Northern Ireland. He he played for Northern Ireland. He played in World Cups. It was, you know, not an easy position to be in, especially considering who, where he's from. He he has experience doing this. He knew exactly what he was doing when he was... He was just attacking people for the sake of attacking people. And Tony O'Donoghue as well. A well-respected and, you know, like... 
as far as Irish media is concerned, Tony O'Donoghue is one of the nice guys. He's known as not being, doesn't try and rub anyone up the wrong way. He's very professional, has been done, doing it for decades. Uh, you know. Every time, like every time there was kind of this moment between the two of them, I remember a load of journalists would come out on Twitter and defend Tony O'Donoghue. Yeah. Like, I can't believe Martin O'Neill's treating him this way. Yeah. Like, it was He's certainly always... asking him, like, oh, you're terror. He's not doing the, the Nigerian. Um, Journalist. Yeah. What went wrong there? Why did you get? Where did it all go so wrong? <laughs> How did everything go wrong? What? Did, why did you was. do that wrong? Why? You know, he's not asking that. He's saying like hard look, or he's saying like, what do you think of that performance? Or you know, what next? Yeah, what next? So we're, we're trying to get some goals. That was a good goal there. Like I remember times when you you know he would compliment Martin O'Neill and say, oh, that was a good piece of play, or it was a good set piece, or Ireland scored, and like that was a it was a good goal for him to get for Jonathan Walters to get. And Martin O'Neill was like, of course it is. Why would you say you know? Why would you imply anything else? But then that leads me back to the whole, like I started the show with like the, the goal scorers, the match winners and the big moments. Like Martin O'Neill, I think as time goes on, we might remember Martin O'Neill's tenure a little more fondly than we currently do now. Because oh, yeah, over, yeah, over, the, over like, the last few weeks, we have been thinking, oh, international break coming up, great, more Martin O'Neill Ireland. Like I, it's gotten to the point where I just don't want to watch the team anymore. Yeah, watching watch the last few matches has been tough. And like I am kind of looking forward to seeing how a new manager will yeah, get on. Just but, for change, but like you said, I didn't expect at all that any managers would change. I I thought Martin O'Neill would be there for the next couple of years. I I thought he'd be there until this... you know ultimately we failed to qualify for the Euros. Yeah. That's how I saw it going. We yeah. would fail to qualify, and yeah, we'd be in a Scotland situation, something like that at the moment. Where Scotland are just in a in a in a loop of media mediocrity. I really did not see this coming. I didn't see it was a big shock today because of what we said like the last. There's been a reality check the last 10 years in Irish football that we're not that good. And, you know, Martin O'Neill is being dour, he's being depressing, but there, there's no, generally speaking, the FBI, there's been a, there's been a you know, a latency to change. They, the people do not want to change. They don't want to rock the boat or do anything different. It has, risks. it has felt like they, they've given, like they certainly gave Trapattoni an extra two years that he just didn't need. Yeah, they've given Martin O'Neill an extra two years. Yeah. You know this. this For an extra world, year now, I but this is the World Cup year. Yeah, yeah. But even why? Remember giving the contract in in the Euros or just before around the Euros and putting it on the table, so a contract was there for him to sign. Like why? And they'll do it again if we ever qualify for another tournament. They'll give if, if they give a two year contract to the next group. Like why not give give the manager a two year contract? Work to the next tournament. It's what what happens in other sports. It's what happens in the Olympics. You have you work you work to a cycle. And then you review the situation after the end of the cycle. I don't understand why we have to give... There's not like there's some bizarre long-term thinking going on here that Martin O'Neill is going to revolutionise the Ireland youth setup and bring through a whole new generation of players in the next four years if he was in charge. There was never a plan for that in the whole five-year tenure. I remember when the news initially broke around this time last year that he would be given... That they'd agreed a yeah. new contract. He just had been yet to sign it. Yeah. I remember thinking that's not good. Like I remember he was linked with Stoke as well. I'm yeah. hoping he'd go. Yeah. And like just this last year, like I actually I think I remember I said this back when we discussed the Nations League months ago now, but I actually this is one of the positives that the Nations League has brought through of we've seen how terrible he is yeah. outside in competitive games but outside like we haven't sacrificed a qualification campaign. Yeah. Because of the Nations League stepping in, like changing the way the calendar is, and we've been able to like use the break now that we have and remove the Martin O'Neill issue. Yeah. Like the atmosphere around the whole, the whole crap camp was just toxic. Yeah. And we can. And we don't even have to go into the Roy Keane against 
X player. Yeah. Well, like, Jonathan Walters or... Remember we started one of our shows recently about the Stephen Ward, the... Yeah, the WhatsApp message where you told them what happened in the Roy Keane fiasco. First of all, Stephen... What, what was the thing Martin O'Neill said that confirmed it was Stephen Ward? First of all, Stephen wasn't there. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, <laughs> that was no just, one had even said it. <laughs> that was such a, like, a novice mistake it felt like at the time. Well, it's it's just... Like, I don't want to be down on Martin O'Neill. Because, Martin, as we said, we're, we're going to remember Martin O'Neill well. Yeah, like you know, uh, George Hampton said it when Robbie Brady scored that goal against Italy. This is one of those nights. It yeah. is like Stuttgart in 88. It's like... Uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Giant Stadium in New Jersey in... Was it Giant Stadium? In yeah, it was 94. 94. I, I completely forget where, where where things were in USA 94. It's one of those nights. It's Gelsenkirk and it's... Uh, where on earth that was Japan the match against oh I couldn't tell you I where forget that where yeah, it was Japan Japan and the match against Germany you know these are these are big nights in Irish football like it, it playing against England and stuff like that in 1990 and 1988 and Euro 88 it was one of those moments we didn't have that under Trapattoni as you said like we didn't didn't get one of those moments and we got probably two with the Shane Long goal against Germany against world champions Germany yeah, like that, that's what I was kind of going on to like under Martin O'Neill I've had some of my favourite moments following yeah. this Ireland team like beating Germany was an absolutely incredible night I'll yeah. never forget it yeah. beating Italy was incredible getting the draw against Germany away to Germany John O'Shea's goal yeah John O'Shea popping up I remember being that like, was amazing considering the performance that preceded that goal with I remember Aidan McGeady not knowing where he was playing and I remember there was like Aidan McGeady was given the team sheet and he was like where am I playing? But there was also I like I was playing left back. That group was so that group was so weird as well because realistically, like Scotland were so hard done by because yeah. they'd done the hard work to beat Ireland yeah, and they, get the they, draw they, away yeah. at, at the Aviva. And I was like, okay, that's a playoff place for Germany or for Scotland. And then we went off and beat Germany <laughs> and, and it was bat- just battled through the fog in Bosnia. Yeah, that was a weird match as well. Like yeah. he, I remember when Robbie Brady scored the initial goal and George Hamilton on commentary they was didn't like... Know Jim Beglin, they didn't know the goal had gone in. Yeah, oh, there's a goal. Yeah, I was like, oh, have we actually scored here? And then Robbie Brady is all of a sudden yeah. diving at the corner flag, Talking celebrating. Talking should have been called off. Well, for, for our benefit, it wasn't. I, no, uh, true, true, true. But even at home then, when Jonathan Walters, I think when he scored the penalty yeah. and then he scored the second goal in the second half, like that was, I'm thinking back to that match, like it was oddly comfortable. When you think about it, like they yeah. at no point did Bosnia threaten at all. Like it no. seemed like it just seemed from the minute one that oh yeah we're gonna win this. Yeah. And like we but have that's all dissipated. In it's the last all years. disappeared. And it kind of goes to the thing that if you want to go back to Trapattoni, the end of Trapattoni's era with Trapattoni, no one ever had the the criticisms that Martin O'Neill's facing now. There were different criticisms with Trapattoni. Everyone knew their, what they're meant to do. They had certain positions. Played four four two or four four one one type of formation slash four five one. You know whatever way you want to look at it, something like that. Uh, a deep line defense, a deep line midfield, and an isolated attack. And everyone had their role. Everyone knew exactly their position. They had their zone. They stayed in their zone. They moved up and down. They got the ball forward. They got the ball out wide. They got crosses in. They played for set pieces. That was your role. The problem at the end of Trapattoni era is nobody was playing for him anymore. He needed it. Needed new blood. There were, there were too many old players still holding on to places in that team. That was a big problem with Trapattoni. Martin O'Neill was brought in, and he everyone knows he's a man manager. That's what they like to call him. Apparently, he's great at talking to players, great at motivating players, great at you know explaining very specific situations to players and what they want to do. But he's still a very old school player or an old school manager. He doesn't tell the teams the right before. He doesn't prepare matches per 
the opponents. He just says, "Oh, you know, play your own game. Don't worry about whatever else, and we'll we'll you know you'll do best. And as long as you try hard, we don't mind. You know that type of management." And the players weren't given any instructions in a world where players are micromanaged at a at a at a team that like the the best managers in the world, the most high profile managers in the world, the Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, every player on the field is an extension of Pep Guardiola's mind. He tells them exactly what to do, when to do it. They, he gives them options that they can do, like creative in, ingenuity, you know, in, the innovative things they can think of, whatever they can think of. Pep will allow that, but Pep tells them, okay, you're playing this formation, we're attacking this player, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're going to try and score. We move these over here and we can put you through there and you tap the ball into the back of the net. And that's his plan. And even Jose Mourinho, who's a very different philosophy on the game, very similar in a defensive way, is like, you're a defender, you stand here. You stand there. You do your job. That is your job. You know your job inside out. You can recite your job in your sleep. What's your job? My job is to kick that guy until he doesn't walk anymore and to stop the opposition from scoring and give the ball to the good players who will do their thing and score. With Ireland, you kind of had this guy motivating you and jumping up and down and you know getting getting the best out of you early on. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's really enthusiastic. I can I can really play for this guy. Five years later. What like this guy's jumping up and down, shouting at you. He has his little guard dog Roy next to him, shouting at you, and you're like, I don't care anymore. Like this isn't fun. Yeah, motivation, like being mo- being told the same thing over and over yeah. again via like motivate, like ha- using motivational tactics to get your team to perform yeah. only goes so far. And meanwhile, the play the playing pool gets worse and worse and worse. So you're like, okay, five years ago I could ping a long ball and there'll be John Walters at the peak of his game running after it, or I have James McLean when he's got a couple of yards more of pace running after it. Or, you know, even Robbie Keane, who is a very good finisher at the end, who could be in there to nod a ball into the back of the net. These players all existed then. None of them are there now. Yeah, but even five years ago, like we had Wes Houlihan, who was sure. a player that Martin O'Neill did not, you could argue, did not fully utilise. No. But he did play him. And obviously, like some of our best performances, some of the great nights that we remember, mm-hmm. Wes Houlihan was involved. It was like it was when Wes Houlihan came on in, Gel- or was it in Gelsenkirchen? Yeah, that John O'Shea ultimately scored. What he was doing up there, I still have no idea. No, John O'Shea is great. great but striker. but he played in at home against Germany yeah. as well. He played against Italy, or did he come on against Italy? Yeah, he came on against Italy, and he got the assist for he Robbie Brady's Sitter goal. And then, yeah. yeah, oh, that's Sitter. I thought that was it. Yeah, uh, but he stepped up again because you know that was the kind he of player he was Sweden as well. If you remember the. The, oh yeah he scored the goal against Sweden a very fine finish and he played very well in that match he did and they should have won it but that you're right but like it makes me think that these players existed in the Trapatoni era as well and the, in and O'Neill inherited them O'Neill inherited the organisation of the Trapatoni era the back four the solidity of Glenn Whelan James McCarthy insert other player here in the middle of somewhere he inherited all of that and kind of as as his campaign campaigns wore on he started losing more and more of that Trapatoni organisation till you were left with a situation where you weren't that organised in defence you know as in Richard Kyo like what is Richard Kyo doing in, in like he he's, doesn't perform that badly at club level and he just seems completely panicked isolated he's isolated when he's got five players within ten years of him and he, he looks like where am I where am I where? he looks like a, a striker he looks like a centre forward or a centre back playing centre forward not knowing what to do with the ball. And you're like, where does that come into a player that's relatively assured at club level? Doesn't make ridiculous mistakes like he did against Denmark. And you're like, why are these players so crazily terrified of doing anything? Why is their first thought what you do with a five-year-old when, 
you know, you shouldn't do it with a five-year-old, but a lot of five-year-olds, you know, they get the ball and they get a bit nervous because they suddenly have a ball and there's people at them running on a little, you know, small football field. And they boot it they, as far as they can possibly boot it. And it's like, why are there, like, small children here just kicking the ball, not moving, just kicking out, being static the whole time? And you're like, what's going on? Yeah, like, uh, Trapattoni was not going to concede five goals to Denmark. No. And not, and not even a particularly great it. Denmark team. Like, obviously, the Christian Eriksen was a fantastic player, and he got a hat-trick in that yeah. match. But at he no point... He would have for a 1-0 defeat. At no, yeah, he would have... Or a 2-1 defeat as well. But at no point was, like... And the tactical blunder that Martin O'Neill made in that match was so Just incredible to basically... Take to off your midfield. Take off the whole midfield. The only in a match. players who were actually playing okay in the first half. Yeah. Take Bring them on off. Aiden McGeady, who ultimately ended up doing nothing. Yeah. And in fairness to Aiden McGeady, he was you know, nearing the end of his top level. He's still going. Aiden McGeady has had his moments for Ireland. Yeah, but those no moments those are, goals he scored. are finished. Yeah. Like, fantastic. But, like, you only have to go back to that Germany match we spoke about with John O'Shea, the one all draw. Aidan McGeady was playing centre forward or something in that match and he he often said afterwards jokingly but it, it looks really bad now where he was saying oh yeah I didn't know where I was playing I was asking the the assistant coaches like not Roy Keane obviously the other <laughs> the other assistants where, where am I meant to be playing and they were trying to explain it to him as he's kitted up suited and booted they've done the warm up and going out to do the national anthems and he's like where am I playing and you're like oh you're playing through the middle I'm playing through the middle I don't play through the middle I'm 5 foot tall I'm playing against Per Mertesacker or he wasn't at the time but he's playing against someone tall some tall German Jerome Boateng someone like that yeah or Matt Tummels one or the other probably and he's like why am I what is going on and it didn't work at all and nothing worked in that match and it was by sheer force of personality of John O'Shea getting on the end of a ball. That was a, that was just such an incredible moment that I will never forget. Just because it was so random. But like that's the thing. There was random moments that saved Ireland. Robbie Brady against Italy. The individualistic goals of like Wes Houlihan. Of uh, Aidan McGeady in earlier campaigns. If you remember the goal. I think it was he bailed us out against Fair Islands or someone like that. I remember that. he bailed us out in the or last Samarino. minute in, against Georgia. Oh, it was in, Georgia. In it was. Martin O'Neill's first competitive match. That's what it's like. I'm thinking back to those days. And like these are all individual moments. They weren't planned. Like they weren't. I suppose that's one thing different differentiating the two reigns. Very similar. But you know they, they started and ended very similar. Uh, Trapadoni and O'Neill. But like they had very. Uh, Trapadoni's moments were very constructed. Like the before, there'll be performances. Richard Dunn against Russia, Ireland against Italy a couple of times, Ireland against France. They were they were performances. They weren't individuals. They were the the whole or they weren't the collective moments. They were yeah collective moments or one player doing the business over ninety minutes. With Martin O'Neill, they were individual moments of just their randomness. Because like these could happen with any manager. Like Shane Shane Long scoring Shane Long against Germany on the end of a long ball from Darren Randolph. Like, Dar- Darren Randolph would come off the bench as well. Yeah, it was like weird. Because Shea Given picked up a random injury. Weird things. Like Shea Given wouldn't have kicked the ball that long. No, and like, sh- has Shane Long scored a goal since well, that match? I think he, that goal maybe sacrificed all other goals he would yeah, ever score. Yeah, but maybe he'd take it like that. But that's the thing. It's like, what's, what is happening with the Ireland team? To roll back to it, my original point was I started however many minutes ago. This was a situation we did not see developing that Martin O'Neill would be sacked. But in the last few weeks, there's been a realisation that Ireland's problems are not necessarily the management. This is the exact same thing that happened under Giovanni Trapattoni. It's happening again now. There didn't look to be an end in sight. And we're like, what? We started examining the other parts of Irish football. Okay, Martin O'Neill is here. 
but he's working with limited tools the same way Trapatoni is working with limited tools he only has the players available to him he may not be doing the best at youth development he may not be the best at, at like at you know harnessing the the local talent or exploring new avenues of, of football and responsibility in the game but he was doing his job so you had to look above and beyond Martin O'Neill and his setup and see what was going on in Irish football to use the comparison to the RFU the rugby union in Ireland we're talking about oh they, we were saying that the RFU revenue is double what the FAI's is but you made the, the good point that IRFU has the Mag- the Celtic League I forget what the Pro 12 Pro 14 Pro 14 I think it's whatever called it's called now it's a domestic league for rugby that didn't exist 15 years ago It's a, it was a relatively new invention it certainly didn't exist in its present form 14 teams several seasons ago it's taken in the last 10 years effectively in the time since Trapattoni was appointed the the start of this two two manager cycle we have seen Irish rugby and the league behind it rise to huge levels where it has exceeded more than doubled what the FAI were making in money and you have all these homegrown players bringing it up and taking it to the top level of of international of in the international game like beating the best team in the world in the New Zealand All Blacks and the Irish soccer team like who's the best team in France you wouldn't you couldn't even it would be some kind of joke to imagine that like something would have had to really go wrong for Ireland to beat France let alone Ireland play well defeat France playing a good attractive style of football with you know mostly homegrown players you wouldn't think that at all you wouldn't think that'd be possible at all and it's like well what did the IRFU do that was the FAI didn't do in the last 10 years well, the RFU built their own league and they set up a, a structure where they promoted development from within. As in, you play, you have to play a certain amount of players from the, from local academy, their local academy, the, the provincial academy in your team. They have to progress through. You have to design your contracts, your playing contracts around that, around developing Irish talent, provide feeding the international team. And if you look at the club game in Ireland, for you know better or worse, it doesn't produce anybody for... Um, it doesn't really produce very few for any international game, let alone another club match, another it, club team in another country. It was the friendly recently against the USA. I think Ireland won two one in the EU. I think that was over the summer that uh, the winner came from a League of Ireland player, and he was the first League of Ireland player that had played for Ireland this century. Mm. Like it's been a long, long time since the League like of Ireland player. Burn, Shelburne's burn. And, yeah, it was you know. something. Someone completely random. Like it wasn't even a well-known player. Yeah. Either. So like the domestic game here has so many issues, and really, <sighs> frankly, the book stops at John Delaney. Like, yeah. and, and he is the one that has come under a lot of criticism. Which as is you why said, he's done this. As you said earlier, that's why he's done this because the it was George Calkin of the Irish Times, I believe. Mm-hmm. That broke the news story initially this morning that they uh, Martin O'Neill and John Delaney had held emergency talks last night. But the the sticking point for John Delaney was the poor attendance more than anything in the Northern Ireland match because the attendance was only thirty one thousand over yeah. forty five thousand seater stadium. Yeah. So that and obviously as well there was a whole debacle in Denmark. Yeah. With the banner that the fans had confiscated from the Danish stewards. And the Danish stewards had a printout, an A4 page printout of what the banner looked like. And it was it must have been given to them by the Irish people, by, yeah, someone, FAI, yeah. Yeah, by someone involved in the FAI. Yeah. And it's a banner that's been confiscated. And it's a banner that mocks John Delaney, essentially. Yeah. And it's been confiscated at the Aviva. It's been confiscated at loads of places. 
And it's not just even that as well. Like I, I can't remember which team, or it could even be multiple teams in the League of Ireland. Their fans have chanted things that are like basically saying Delaney out and yeah. and calling Delaney bad words, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And those clubs have been fined for that, yeah. which is ridiculous. Like imagine that happening with the FA in England. Yeah, if Greg Dyke, if suddenly they started chanting Greg Dyke, blah, blah, blah. One, no one would even notice. No one would take notice in the media, in the press, in the fans. But this is going from someone Someone is telling the FBI centrally that this is happening and that they're reacting to it, overreacting to it. And it, it just, it smacks of like just a despot, really. It's, it's really, frankly, pathetic. And like we talked about Brian Kerr earlier, obviously the experiment of bringing him in as proper manager of the full t- of the main team didn't quite work out even though he was maybe a little hard done by to get sacked at the time he did mm-hmm. and he he hasn't really managed much i, I know he managed fair islands for a bit and he did he okay did very there well with them. they won a match yeah they won a match and he tried to help that. he tried to help their system behind the scenes he as did, well yeah. but i i just can't understand why he's not been brought in in some kind of role in the fai yeah and it feels like, like director it's it feels like it feels like until he is at the fai things won't fix themselves at all it'll remain broken managers will come in they'll have their bright spots they'll have their down moments and they'll go and then a new manager will come in and the cycle will come and the cycle will go again and again until eventually something like something has to change yeah and with John Delaney involved it just doesn't feel like anything will change no true and I you get that based on past experience if you were to believe that past experience is is a predictor for the future nothing will change but like on a day like this where where people have lost their jobs it's it's unfortunate for the people involved they're well paying jobs they'll be fine they're they're well off I'm not too concerned about their long term prospects the way I would be about other people who would have been let go by the FLA in the past Martin O'Neill's going to end up with someone like Southampton in a few weeks for all possibly possibly with with John Delaney you have to take him I'll take him at face value maybe he is willing to change maybe all the talk in recent times about well maybe it isn't the manager's fault maybe it's a problem with the structure of Irish football and maybe something has to change at that level to make the whole change maybe he's realised if he doesn't react now and change himself and change what he does and how he reacts and how he conducts himself and purports himself and how the FAI in general purports themselves and how they they manage the organisation that's under their control if they don't do that now maybe they're, they're a lost cause and they won't have the power and going into the future maybe the Irish football will just disintegrate as a as a source of joy for the Irish public so maybe he has decided okay it's time for a real change they maybe they will bring in Mick McCarthy and it'll be a kind of uh, uh, a, a, a quick you know a quick fix and all the animosity that's directed towards John Delaney at the moment will all switch to Mick McCarthy because Mick McCarthy for all the well respect he has among a lot of Irish football and people and a lot of the media, there is just as many, if not more, of the Irish public and of the Irish media that dislike Mick McCarthy, have their own agendas against Mick McCarthy, both on a footballing <coughs> level and on a personal level due to the whole Saipan thing. Because the Saipan thing is such of a, a seismic shift in Irish culture that it's not something you recover from easily. Yeah, Especially and- when you're on the, the the minority end of that, as as Mick McCarthy generally, in general, has been. 
more people sided Roy Keane than sided with Mick. Yeah, like the joke always is, if you want to start a fight in, in a taxi in court, just tell him Mick, Mick was right or something. Yeah, There's something yeah. like that, some joke like that. Yeah, but like, so like if that if Mick McCarthy is appointed as the new Ireland manager, it is kind of a gloss at this point. Like maybe he would be the right man for the job. He has he has previous with it. He worked with Brian Kerr before. He worked with a great youth setup before. You know he he didn't have a reputation for necessarily trusting the youth managers with as much as you might have thought they did but he did bring through an awful lot of young Irish players and young Irish talent and they played progressive football to a point and he's had success he's shown he's able to to bring together players of limited ability like this isn't a guy that goes in and you know the highest level and picks the best players and they're all individual greats he's not as in as he's a Dan type manager he's a guy that goes in at lower league lower league clubs with limited resources and does very well or reasonably well with them he did it with Ireland at the time as well maybe that is what Ireland need at this time but at the same time I, I don't he doesn't excite me the way another appointment would what, what appointment would excite you I don't know I've heard Carlos Quiros has been linked with the job today apparently Miguel Delaney as you said the independent has been in touch with his people and he'd be interested in the job he had a decent track record with Portugal doing well in World Cups. He did even better with Iran with a very limited set of players. He's completely changed the Iran footballing system. Exactly. For the better. I don't know. I, I would feel, I don't think that will happen in Ireland. I think he would be very much a kind of Giovanni Trapattoni appointment. He'll fly in a few times of the year. He'll look after the international, the senior team and that's it. Yeah, uh, like I've, I'm very conflicted on who I want next because obviously I did read that Car- the Miguel Delaney piece on Carlos yeah. Squares and I would be, I would be against Carlos Squares because like I read that like he's 65. I didn't realize he was that old. Like yeah. he's 65. Like the wage demands. Like he was on 1.9 million pounds a year at Iran and Martin O'Neill was reportedly on two million. But that just feels like a waste of money yeah. to put it on. It's someone, an awful lot of money for two matches a year on someone who like probably, probably won't care probably won't care like mm. uh, it might sound harsh, harsh to Carlos Squares maybe yeah, a bit, bit of benefit of the doubt yeah. but I find it hard to trust basically I, I find it hard to trust someone like Carlos Squares to come in and care yeah. because Marin O'Neill has come in has come in and not really cared yeah. and same with Giovanni Trapattoni yeah. so we already have like we've been bitten twice here we don't yeah. want to be bitten a third time yeah. by Carlos Squares and then, like, the whole thing with Mick McCarthy. Like, I've heard Robbie Robbie Keane thrown around as his assistant in a Roy Keane-esque way, which would be... It could work, but... It yeah. would be odd, but I'm conflicted on... Chris Hutton, you know, that he was yeah, Chris Mick Hutton. McCarthy's assistant for I feel like the, the timing just isn't right with Chris Hutton because I just can't see him leaving Brighton anytime soon. No, but even coming in as a part-time basis. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. But, I honestly... Yeah, you go on, sir. I'm, but I'm just very conflicted with Mick McCarthy because... Obviously, like a lot of people have been saying today, oh, bring in Mick McCarthy, he's a safe pair of hands. Yeah. That's that's the the quote that everyone says. True. And I just, I dislike the idea of a safe pair of hands because there's just something about doing something safe yeah. that is inherently boring and uninteresting. Yeah. And then there's the fact that like Mick McCarthy was a manager of Ireland 20 years ago or like, like the World yeah, Cup he was, was 16, like 20 he to 16 years ago. He was manager in like 1995, yeah. yeah. That's when he was appointed. Yeah. So like... Football's changed a whole yeah. lot since then. The FAI has changed a lot since then. Irish football has changed a lot since then. Bringing him back, it would just feel a bit like a step backwards. Like True. there was a reason he left at the time, and yeah. I feel like le- he'd reached the end of his like he, the his his, he'd like, reached his natural conclusion. end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like obviously in the 
in the la- in recent years he has said he has a desire to come back and you know that's fair enough I can't blame him for wanting to come back but I feel like Ireland need that next step forward but then on the other hand you look at the work he did with Wolves he brought them up about yeah. eight, it was eight years ago now or nine years ago but well, he did a good job with them until Ipswich, eventually he kept them ticking over and even Ipswich, losing players like every season he'd almost have an entirely new squad Ipswich is something that I feel like he actually doesn't get enough credit for when you see like uh, I know got uh, them to playoffs I know there he was uh, a divisive figure at Ipswich yeah, because obviously <laughs> they brought he brought him to the playoffs obviously a poor record in the old farm derby but other than that he brought them to the playoffs almost got them promoted yeah. and they were a team that weren't particularly impressive like if no. you if you can imagine Ipswich actually getting promoted I can't imagine them sticking around for very long no. it would have been a very Huddersfield-esque a po- or promotion uh, except with worse, worse that, yeah. yeah it would have been worse would have been like original Sunderland promotion yeah exactly but then when you look like he left this summer and the, this is the first season without Mick McCarthy now in a long time now mm-hmm. about four or five years I'd say and they're down by the relegation places they've already sacked their manager yeah. they're a complete mess and it looked like they could easily get relegated by the end of the season yeah. the second Mick McCarthy steps away and we've seen him as a pundit it's happened at, it's happened at different clubs it's happened at yeah. Wolves it's happened at Sunderland and like obviously pundits don't, are, don't always transfer over to a good manager we've seen that with we're seeing it with Thierry Henry now we're seeing it, we've seen it with Gary Neville yeah. we've seen it with other pr- high profile managers not do very well after impressing as a pundit for a bit mm. so obviously it doesn't equally translate over but he has been a good pundit like we've seen him, he was yeah, on, he always has been. He's he been on BT. Day, he's been BBC, on. He he's been on Virgin Sport or whatever yeah. their new channel is called, and he's been very good. And obviously, yeah. as you mentioned, he's been very good in the past. Yeah. But it it just feels like a step backwards. Yeah, you feel it's in the past. It's something of the past. That chapter's been closed on Irish. Football. Yeah, it's like you, you. In some ways, you like to hark back to those days because similar to you know, Mick McCarthy presided over some great moments in in Irish football history. You know through. The World Cup in 2002. Like, the, we haven't been back to a World Cup since. No. And we haven't been near, like, anywhere really. What he did, the, the performances that his teams gave against the Netherlands and Portugal in qualifying in, the, in those groups being undefeated. The 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 complete, you know, the playoff defeats that he was unfortunate to suffer on, on two occasions. Against Belgium and against... Uh, I forget who they lost the other one to. The, the unfortunateness that they lost uh, Macedonia when they're about to automatically qualify for the World Cup and ended up losing a playoff afterwards when the goalkeeper was injured and there was some for, like very unfortunate refereeing decisions against Belgium in, in the playoff for 98 World Cup you, you, these are things that he, his team suffered through and got through in the end and he performed well and he kind of reached the end the natural end after the World Cup 2002 with everything that had happened and with the changing of the guard with a lot of the more senior players stepping away and a new string of players coming through but away from him like if he, he does seem the logical appointment he's available he wants the job he's he he isn't hidden that at any point he he was always said he'd be willing to go back to international football he's a for whatever Roy Keane might say about him he he is a proud Irishman he does you know has always been loyal to the the cause as they, as he would say despite of where he was born he has always viewed himself that way but. I, I don't away from him like I don't know what happens I love like if there was two million pound or two million euro on the table for salary for the 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 next manager I would like let's save a lot of that money let's hire like Stephen Kenny I don't it's a flavor of the month you know he he's a, 
he's done very well in the League of Ireland with limited resources. But I, I feel like it's harsh to call him a flavour of, of the month, though, when you consider the fact that he's won four of the last five League of Ireland yeah, titles. Yeah, he's had experience in other places. He's, he's brought them to talk to the, to the Europa League, and they were actually unfortunate not to get out of their group. Like, they did yeah. quite well. They only picked up four points, but yeah. they were a few points off second, and yeah. like, if another couple of results went their way, it could have gone completely different. And yeah. uh, I feel like the football he's got his team to play like he has an idea like he did that interview about a month ago or two months ago now where he talked about how the whole of Irish football he, he talked about Nor- Northern Ireland as well as Republic of Ireland yeah. about how you know we we do have players that can actually play football you know a lot of Irish players are treated ab- abroad like they don't have a brain but they do and they can play nice yeah. football yeah. and I just someone he talks the talk I'd like to see him try walk the walk true yeah it's very reminiscent what Brian Curry used to be like when he used to talk as well and maybe we, we need to return to that to kind of rejuvenate the Irish game in a way that we haven't had in a very long time like for even the the excitement of apl- of employing one of the managerial greats of all time in Giovanni Trapattoni or employing one of the you know well-loved managers of the last 20 years in Martin O'Neill and having Roy Keane back there you you wouldn't get the enthusiasm from either of those managers that you would get from the likes of Stephen Kenny the the thing the only problem with the point with Stephen Kenny with the talking of the talk and the walking of the walk is that would he be given the 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 remit to actually enact these changes? He's proposed before that I'm not sure. I think he agreed whether he proposed or not. He's definitely agreed with it that the League of Ireland club should be made play a certain amount of young players. They should endeavour to keep to rather than to rather than let players go abroad and complete their education in lower leagues of England going to Blackburn or going to Leeds or going to Manchester United and never getting a game for the first team and eventually coming back and almost giving up the game at the age of 18 or 19 or 20 to stay in Ireland complete your education stay part of the local community boost the profile of the League of Ireland boost your own quality play football and be part of the nation the way the rugby players do I know it's a it's it's too much of an easy you know out because they're completely different dynamics of generally of social standing in society you know you're the the class you come from when you're when you're trying to make it as a professional football is generally very different from the class of person you are when you're trying to be a rugby player and there's 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 various different benefits you have from being in different classes that you know you don't have to worry as much about making your way in the in the world and you can afford to stay at home and you can afford to you know work on your rugby game rather than do something else with your life that you have to bring money in and go abroad immediately and try and bring money back for the family you you know there's different things like that but maybe we can enact some kind of change and bring through players at home that'll eventually make a difference in the professional game there's nothing like if you're in Croatia if you're in Czech Republic if you're in Slovakia if you're in Bosnia or if you're in any of the like say the the b to c level footballing nations in europe like countries that like scandinavian countries countries that don't necessarily oh you know like have champions league teams every single season or every 10 years as some scandinavian teams haven't had most like the majority of players playing for their national teams at certainly at the youth level play at home they're not abroad unless they're at the very highest level they're not abroad at an early age. They're all playing at home. So why can't we also have, you know, a lot of our players... How many players playing for the under-21s for Ireland play in Ireland? A handful. Yeah, not many. At most. 
they're all over in you know the the B teams as they call them now the the under twenty three teams or whatever the reserves effectively at Premier League Championship League One teams doing what like what well, it's not benefiting them it's not benefiting the club it's not benefiting their nation well they could be progressing the game here and it's something that we could work cross boundary I'm not proposing a, an All Ireland League because I think that the, the administration of that would be very difficult but there's something that like Michael O'Neill and the future Irish Republic of Ireland manager could work closely together to develop the game on as a whole on the island and have a have a complete strategy for the 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 island teams to benefit and there's no reason we couldn't do this with Scotland and Wales as well to benefit everyone entirely but we have Northern Ireland on the same island so why can't we work together with them and both teams will benefit from it and another thing as well as we've seen Michael O'Neill go from League of Ireland to True. international management and be successful yeah like Northern Ireland qualified and qualified top of their group for the Euros and performed in the Euros yeah they got to the second round they were in a tough group in the Euros and they knew their limitations they were out, you know, the same as us. They didn't have many. They had even fewer Premier League players in their side or top, you know, top division players in their side. And yet they are able to work as a team, work as a unit, be very well disciplined, be very well drilled. And, you know, everyone knew their job. Everyone performed to the utmost and were motivated and did their thing. And they got through and they did as well as they could be losing out to Wales in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, that's to Wales from an own goal. Yeah, very unfortunate, but that that can happen. And but they they did they did their country proud. Definitely, and like that, he's a manager that's brought in with a clear vision and plan of how his teams are going to play. Which yeah. Martin O'Neill, it never seemed like he had that idea. Yeah. So I would like to see someone come in with an idea, with a plan of yeah. how his team is going to play. Like another thing as well is John Delaney is very wary of the fact that Ireland are hosting games for Euro twenty twenty, yeah. which has a weird system going on like this match can be played in Azerbaijan and Italy and Spain and in yeah. Ireland and England the semi-finals and the finals taking place at Wembley yeah. is a bit different so while Ireland are at host they do host about three group matches four group matches I think yeah. and John Delaney sees it as an embarrassment if we don't qualify which and I think played into the fact that Martin O'Neill got sacked when he did perhaps perhaps yeah. which is why I think he'll bring in Mick McCarthy because of the safe pair of hands that yeah. you can be assured that Mick McCarthy while he might not definitely qualify He'll give it a good go. Like Ireland are in a position that it's likely will qualify for a playoff yeah. despite getting relegated from the, the Nations League just because of the way it works. Yeah, It's such a bizarre playoff system they've got going now. You know, so if the qualifying group does go awry, which it could because we could end up in a group of Germany and France or Germany yeah. and Spain yeah. because of the way seeding is going now. Germany are seeded second. So it could go wrong. But I, I'd almost rather Stephen Kenny was brought in and didn't qualify for the Euros but was looking ahead and yeah. had a plan and we were ready to go for a World Cup qualification in 2022 or here we go Qatar yeah here, <laughs> where it is today four years is the day it starts so uh, bring Stevie Kenny in today and we'll be ready in four years time yeah. well it's worth a try you know and you'd hope that there'd be some kind of distributed plan that we, we could try and actually enact some of the changes that we've been talking about for 20 years like since Brian Kerr was, I think that was when the first strategic plan was kind of rolled around. Was after right the appointment of Brian Kerr and various different technical directors were brought in to try and boost the grassroots. And there was money pumped into, you know, Astros around the country and trying to, you know, get more football and more soccer into rural areas in Ireland. And it's had some kind of impact, but we're still waiting to see the players come out the other end of it. Maybe we need that kind of 
time to spend on something like this like granted you know we love football we love soccer but it's not the largest priority in Irish society it doesn't need to be to be something that brings joy and happiness to people we just want a bit more we just want a bit more out of it like you you think about it it's like at the moment we're 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 we're, we're bad we're a crap team We've just, we've just been relegated. We've just been relegated from to, to Group C of the Nations League. Like it's not, but in some regards, there's nothing wrong with being in Group C of, of the Nations League. Nothing wrong with being relegated from any of these leagues. What's wrong is that we did it so half-heartedly. We did it without a whimper. We did it without trying. Like all the stats have come out. There's been so many stats that come out, and they're all negative ones for yeah. Ireland. Like I haven't seen any stats for other teams except maybe Germany, yeah. who also were hilariously relegated. Yeah. But like we scored one goal in a four-one defeat, we had the fewest amount of shots on target per Gibraltar and or not Gibraltar, it was Andorra and San Marino. Yeah, Gibraltar who, had more. Yeah, Gibraltar actually won matches. Yeah. Like we were pathetic. We didn't. Sco- we didn't score scored. at home. Yeah, like we we were out goals for we won goal in over a thousand minutes. I think. Yeah, like Football. it's it's been. I think I put up the stat. It's been like. Back last October, the last international break, it was like over 300 games since our last meaningful goal. 300 games? 300 days, right? 300, <laughs> 300 yeah, games 300 would be... Games, a lot of games. That is, especially... It's like 30 years. Yeah, especially because there's so few in international football. Yeah. Look, um, no, that's... Yeah. It's just... When you're when you're out there in international football, especially, if you're, if you're going to be damned, like if you're going to be bad... Do with a bit of pride. Yeah, have a bit of pride. Be, be damned for who you are. And are we the team that just... We are a team that hoops it on. You know, traditionally... Well, not traditionally, but for the last 30 years, that has been the kind of... What Ireland, you know, football has been renowned for since the, the end of the Jack Charlton days. It's not It's not, It's not. not something that we that we are inherently as footballing... As a footballing nation. Like, there are teams... If you watch really League of Ireland football, there are teams, in fairness. Limited teams that will play a big long football... Long ball football or play it down the wing cross a big cross into a big lad to try and score a goal but there's a lot of teams out there that play football that put the ball down on the ground they pass it around they make good moves they have tactics about them they have strategy they have they have everything about them and that should be what the international game is known for in this country the likes if we look at the former um, the Balkan countries the former Balkan countries the the Serbian based countries the Kosovo Bosnia Croatia um, give me other ones that are Montenegro. Montenegro all of these teams they have a lot of them aren't, aren't that great at the moment a lot of them are doing poorly not one of them are playing long ball football not one of them are like hoofing it up to a big man up front and hoping for the best they're still playing their own game they're still playing their own culture they're doing what they have to do Czech Republic even in recent times when they've been poor never resorted to playing horrific football never panicked the way that we panicked if they got beaten they got beaten because they weren't good enough or the, you know it wasn't because they didn't try at the moment in Ireland we're getting beaten and we're not good enough fair enough we'll all, hand, we'll all hold up our hands we're not good enough but we weren't trying we weren't giving it our best Martin O'Neill the motivator with Roy Keane the, the attack dog or whatever you know the Mother Teresa as he wanted to be known once <laughs> Martin O'Neill was a lot more vicious than he was they couldn't get anything out of these guys and why? Because what? They're not playing to the who they are. I, you look at the club game, it's not the same. 
in England, but you look at the English players and for many decades, not many, well, yeah, probably many decades, they all say, why can't these English players produce their club form, winning European Championship, like winning European Cups, winning league titles, playing fantastic football, why can't they reproduce this for the English national team? It's because they were terrified. They didn't have, uh, they didn't play the same football they played at club level and international level. They didn't know what they were meant to be doing. They were, they were crucified if they did anything wrong. If they made any mistake, everyone would be after them, the press would be after them, the media would be after them. The, the public would be after them in many cases, booing them at, at following up with club matches. So they didn't. They just shut down and they played very much within themselves. And that's what's happening in Ireland at the moment. Is all the players like? I'm tr- the, unfortunately there isn't a huge amount of players that are playing very well at their club at the moment to to look to like oh their club form is so much better. But you have to like Seamus Coleman is our most creative, technically creative, gifted player that we have at the moment in, mo- in the best form, and you know he's effing and blinding during matches getting cross playing two positions at once obviously at the, to play right wing and right back at the same time to try and get something going you've like Cyrus Christie who is a very good pro is having a bad time at club level and he was trying he was trying to break his back trying to do stuff in recent matches for Ireland he was the closest player I saw to scoring a goal exactly trying his best you have the young fellow um, Oda Oda Odauda. or yeah Obafemi yeah. Obafemi like he was so proud to be like you were surprised with all the talk beforehand that this guy you know you know, you know he's only born in Ireland he doesn't really want to play for Ireland he really did want to play for Ireland and he was breaking his back for those 10 minutes or so that he was on to get nowhere near football that was booted like no offence to guy he's a short guy he's quick and he's strong but he's a short guy and they're booting the ball 10 foot in the air when he's trying to compete against 6 foot 5 centre backs and the ball is about 20 yards away from him anyway and like this guy is running and chasing after them. These guys want to play for Ireland. They want to show the best they can be. Richard Kyo wants to be the best he can be. But he's terrified of doing anything with the ball. And he boots the ball sideways out of play. You have, you just have this unbelievable fear and lack of understanding of what they're meant to be doing. And this shouldn't be the way they sh- Ireland should play at international level. If we're going to lose, we may as well lose doing what we're doing and enjoying what we're doing. Because... If we're that bad, whether Richard Kyo gets out there and he tries to dribble three players like Maradona, let him dribble three players like Maradona if that's what he can thinks he can do and he wants to do it at that time. Don't make him kick the ball away. If you don't kick the ball away, I'm going to shout at you. Because we could hear, like, the, the, the Denmark match, there was not many people there for some reason in, in Denmark. And you could hear the manager shouting. You could hear the coaches. You could hear Roy Keane shouting. Get rid of it. Constantly get rid of it. Run it up the line, clear, clear, constantly tell them to clear the ball away to no one because they were terrified of what Denmark might do to them. And it's like, that's no way to play any type of football. Like, it's miserable. It's no existence. And we'll just kind of close out the show now by saying... <laughs> so don't bring in Big Sam. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> don't bring in Big Sam, for like, the love of God. Who else Like, you can... Like who else? Uh, I saw Lee Carsley linked, which was a bit random. Like, fine, solid pro. He. Had I think he's the young England under twenty one manager at the moment. Yeah, he was working with Birmingham for a while. Like, I can't. Why? I'm not. I'm not entirely like, sure. Like at an administrative level, you're like, well, no, you're. If you're being hired, you're being hired as a name. You're not being hired because you know how to manage a large organisation with a youth setup. He's not Mick McCarthy. He's not Stephen Kenny. He's not Carlos Queiroz. He's not, insert name of person who's actually ran a youth setup before. 
you, these are different. Like they're, they're just. We're at a loss at the moment. Like in, in, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not happy anyone lost their job, but it's a surprising turn of events that could be very positive for the Irish game if the right decisions are made from now on. I am not expecting the ideal, the miracles we were discussing earlier of North South working together to benefit both national sides, uh, to benefit the leagues, uh, the the League of Ireland and the Northern Ireland League. I don't imagine that's going to happen. I don't imagine it's going to happen overnight. That's just pipe dreams, really, that suddenly we have a change in policy and all the club teams will work together for the benefit of the national team and there'll be a focus on trying to keep Irish players from going abroad and from trying to import players try to actually import players from abroad to, to benefit the whole league in general and not just to be this kind of once off thing to benefit one team who'll have one foreign player for a certain amount of years that'll make them look great and then ruin everything for everyone else in the league as we've had in the past I want sustainable development that's geared towards the benefit of the whole of the Irish game if we put the Irish national team at the top so be it if it's the clubs you want at the top so be it but I think we need sustainable development in Ireland I don't see that coming from the appointments of, of Sam Allardyce or the like of, of Lee Carsley and for all like I like Mick McCarthy personally I think he's a, go- a good guy I think he's done well for Ireland in the past I wouldn't be against seeing him manage Ireland again in the future but I'm not sure as would you I'm not sure whether it's the right appointment at this time I, I'd just rather Mick McCarthy took on a role in the FAI that was a manager yeah like there's so much that you make a very good point there. There's so much experience out there, like the likes of Brian Carr, the likes of Mick McCarthy, who, if you give them the right, if you approach them with the right job, like maybe they would be interested in becoming a technical director at the FAI, teaching other coaches how to coach, using their life skills, bringing that down to grassroots level, or not even grassroots level, at an elite level, bring it down to the likes of you know go to Finn Harps, like for a weekend. And teach them how, like, your Premier League experience as both a top-level player as a top-level manager. And what how you can approach this. And you teach a bunch of coaches. You teach the main teams themselves. Like, the whole the whole country could benefit. And uh, I'll just close on the joke I heard earlier that uh, it'll be quite funny when Holly Willoughby starts off I'm a celeb tomorrow telling Harry Redknapp he's got the job. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah so that'll be fun uh, so uh, that's been our breaking news special on uh, the res- resignation of Martin O'Neill and the Roy Keane mutual consent yes. football's favourite phrase when a manager leaves a team mutual consent uh, so we'll leave it there we'll be back with a regular show on Monday where we will discuss Premier League's action the Premier League's action and whatever else is happening and preview what else is coming up Champions League I think is back next midweek so we've got to look forward to no more international football till March at the very least so hopefully no more of this until then thank you for being here Andrew thank you for having me and we'll see you on Monday thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show spread the word of the Total Football Takeover you can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram You can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.